Good morning, St. Mark. And thank you for inviting me once again for a culminating activity of recognition of Black History Month. And of course, for those of us that are African-American, our history and our celebration is 365. My portrait today is but just that, a portrait of my African-American journey. And my African-American journey, although it is my story and my history, it is also American history because it does not exist in a vacuum. And I do not share this story to condemn, to convict, to make feel guilty, but to lift up and give understanding of our experiences so that as black and white, we have come together to celebrate not just African-American history, but humanity, how far we have come and where we have to go. My portrait of my African-American journey. When I was in Africa, I was known by many names and many tribes. I was a people with great celebration. I want you to say them with me. Ashanti. Ashanti. I cannot hear you. Ashanti. Ashanti. Bobo. Bobo. Eve. Eve. Fulani. Fang, Ga, Ibo, Mende, Masai, Vai, Yoruba, and a Zulu. Zulu. And though we were the land of many tribes and many names, there were many traditions. We are a vast people. There are more than two, three hundred thousand tribes and people in Africa. And on the West Coast, there was great celebration at the birth of a baby, the name celebration. There was great celebration at marriage. There was great celebration at the hunt. We were herders. We were farmers. We were villagers. We were mothers and fathers who loved our children. We were kings. We were queens. Oh, there was great celebration at the end of the harvest. In the Igbo village, we brought all of the grain to the center of the village and you would take what was necessary to sustain your family. There was not that greed there. We helped each other. The children would gather at the griot's knee who told stories of our life and our history. I can hear them now. Tuwe, tuwe, parima tuwe, tuwe. Tuwe, tuwe, 
There was great celebration for the one God that we worshiped was in everything we did, in our prayers, our, our play, in our hunt, in our marriage, in our death, in our life, in our hope. We worshiped the one God. There were other gods, but there was a God of creation we were not savages as the Europeans who came thought that we were. But then the slave ships come and greedy African kings who became the enemy of the tribe next door began to capture what they called the enemy tribes and they sold them to their Portuguese slavers. Then they sold them to the Spanish. Then they sold them to the Dutch. Then they sold them to the American. It was a sad time in the village. Those same African kings that enslaved and sold others would themselves be sold on the next journey. Some kings realized that this thing called black gold was wrong. But by that time, it was too late because the taste of greed and free labor was deeply entrenched into the minds of the slavers. And then there was the dreaded middle passage. It took three months to travel from the west coast of Africa to the Americas. Twelve million Africans, most to the southern Americas, and then the Caribbeans, and then to this place called the North America. The dreaded Middle Passage, many of us died. They stopped us in the bows of ships, a ship that was meant to carry 500 passengers would sometimes carry 1,000 because many of us would be some sick and die. There were those that were rebellious and they were thrown overboard. In the bowels of the ship, we were like foot to head, foot to head, and bound by our necks. And sometimes the stench was so bad that the person next to you would actually strangle the person trying to get air. And when they would let us up for air, some African mothers would throw their babies into the ocean for they thought that the spirit that was carrying their bodies away, the evil that took them away, their spirit would return to their homeland. There were many of us thrown over because we rebelled. 
There were many of us that were thrown over because when other seamen would come to sea and check the cargo, and you had too many, they would throw you over to make sure you had the right amount of slaves. Or if the food got short, they would throw you over. And then we saw great, great sharks always trailing the slave ships because it was a free meal. It was a dark, dark time in the world's history. And when we got to the shore, there was a certain number of Igbo warriors that decided that we will not land in this place called Savannah. We are bound, and before we get there, we are going to throw ourselves overboard. We are going to drown. They will not keep our bodies. We will send our spirits back from which they have come. And that is what they did. But the Africans that came, I want you to know, my brothers and my sisters, they were the strongest. They were the best. We were not weak ones. We were great farmers and agriculturists, and they needed that. They tried to enslave the Native American, but he, she, knew the land. And they would die sometimes from the sicknesses. But the black body was extremely strong and had already experienced smallpox and cowpox. And so we endured and we stood on those shoulders. When we got to the shores, they did not allow us to speak our native language. They did not allow us to wear our native dress. They did not allow us to sing our songs or beat our drums because there was the threat of insurrection and communication with the drum. When we got to the shores, sometimes we were stripped and put on auction block. Come, black buck, stand right here. I'm taking beer today, right here in Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. All right, right before you, I got a strong black buck. Strong black buck. Now, I'm going to tell you about this strong black buck. Turn around so they can see the back. Back is strong. Turn around, they can see the arms. Strong arms. He can make you plenty, plenty picking in his own that slave plantation. All right, I'm going to let the bidding start at 500. Can I have 500 for the strong black? 500? 500. 500, 500, all right, 500, that's a little low, that's a little low, all right, 750, 750, 750, come on, 750, 750, 751, all right, now let's say, all right, we're coming on now, all right, one more time, 1,000, can I get 1,000 for this book, come on, 1,000 soul, to Master Stevens on the Stevens Pine get on down there to your master, that's what you do, there was a time that after Buck stood on the auction block. So did I. This woman now becomes the property of my master. Master Bo Jackson was my master. He wasn't so much mean as he was always drunk. But that's something we had to endure. Plantation work was hard. You wake up at 6.30 in the morning, 
And if you wasn't out there by the time he called you, that lash come across your back. Men folk were expected to pick 200 pound cotton a day. Women folk, 100. Cheering a lot of times on Massa Jackson plantation. You didn't even get no clothes till you could work. I remember folk who tried to run away. Mr. Marson's boy tried to run away. They caught up with him. He got 39 lashes from running away. Second time you run away, they put some type of letter on your cheek. They branded so that folk would know you run away. And the third time you try to run away, they cut off something. Cut off your foot, make you peg leg. I'm too scared to run away. I got, I, I, I just, I just, I don't have it. I pray to my God, but I have to pray in secret because on Master Jackson's orientation, you can't pray. He say, if you pray, that make you think you on an equal footing with your master. So we couldn't pray, but I pray anyway. I ask God for deliverance. I ask God, show me your, your kindness and your mercy. Well, one day I, I, I seen this, this man, his name was John Molin. And John Molin asked my master, could he hitch up with me? I really wanted to be with John Molin. And master said, yes. Now, slave marriage wasn't going down to no church or no courthouse. You just say you want to be with each other. And I takes this here broom <laughs> and we push it down. And me and John, <laughs> we jumped that broom and we together. <laughs> oh, me and John, I love me some John. John, we had us by a whole flock of children, all oh, chilling everywhere. And then, one night, I did not believe what was going to happen to me. Auntie told me about this here thing. She said, don't be surprised if Master come down to the hen house for one of you. I say, but I'm with John. Ain't no need of him coming down to no hen house. I'm in the shanty with John. She said, that don't matter. You belong to Master Jackson, and don't you be sassin and trying to say what you ain't going to do. Now, when it do happen, just close your eyes and look up to the heaven and come out your body, because that's not your body at that time. And just like she said, Master Jackson come down and he told, told John to get out. Master was sloppy drunk. And I just lay there and let him have his way because there was nothing I could do. But I did, like Auntie said, I looked up into the heavens and I said, Lord, forgive me. 
this is not my sin. And then I start having masses cheering. I had cheering that was brown with curly hair. I had light skin cheering that was, had kinky hair. <laughs> and then I had this little baby gal I call Effie. She looked so pale and she had light color eyes. She looked just like Massa Jackson. Well, after a while, Master Jackson's wife died, and he found him another gal from the New Orleans. Her name, Miss Babette. She high class. She come in with a big petticoat, thinking she all this and that. We just know to stay out her way, because she could be mean as a snake, they say. One time, I was just going back out into the field, and I was trying to get my little gal, Effie, she about three years old then, back across the field so that Auntie Mame could keep her while I work out on the field. And Miss Babette come by on a buckboard, and she sent my little gal, and she sent me, and of course I knew not to look at her because you could not look at your master in the eye, so I know to humble myself, and I looked down at the floor, and she say, who gal is that? I say, that's my gal, Miss Babette. Where she come from? I didn't know what she meant, where she come from. She, she, she come from me. And next thing I know, she hit that buckboard, that horse, and she just flew up, and I, I, I started laughing a little bit because she flew back, and her, her dress went up. <laughs> but that night, something happened. She sent Ben, who was from the big house, to come down to my shanty. I say, Ben, well, what you doing down here? It's midnight. He said, I come to get Effie. What you mean you come to get Effie? Have you lost your mind? This is my baby. What you mean? Come, come to get her where? Miss Babette says she got to go. Go where? We're going to have to sell her to the New Orleans. What she done done? What I done done, Ben? It ain't what you done done. She said that little gal so white is telling everybody her husband been with you. I can't help that. You, 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 you go. Stop fussing, he said. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Well, I'm not going to let you take her. I, I'm not going to let you take her. You try to take her. Just try to take her. You. He, he pushed me on way. He said, you, you get yourself. Get yourself together.
if he never wake up. He wrap up. He say she was going to the New Orleans. Miss Babette say she gonna be a fancy gal. Fancy gal? I say, what's a fancy gal? He said he didn't quite know, but in New Orleans they had a fancy gal that that kind of be with the master. I knowed I would never gonna see her no more. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Glory, hallelujah. I didn't sleep all last night. Didn't make no difference as I did. I had to take Effie out of my mind. I couldn't take her out of my heart, but I took her out of my mind. And the next day, I seen the sunshine, and I got in line. Then they tell me several years later, that Mr. Lincoln was the president of the, of the United States and he was talking about getting rid of slavery. I say that ain't gonna happen. Not down here, not down here in Georgia. Ain't nobody coming to free me. They say, yeah, it is. Mr. Lincoln He's going to free the slave. No, he ain't freeing nothing down. Yes, he is. And then the war started. There was the North against the South. Brother against brother. Father against sign. 600,000 men died over somebody like me when they say I wasn't worth it. And when the war started, Mr. Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. But the war wasn't over. But I started having my little shouting dance. <laughs> Freedom coming in the morning. I can't sing. What's the matter? Mr. Lincoln. What he do? He can't do nothing till the war is through. He can't do nothing. He can't do nothing. Yes. He can't do nothing. Oh, yes. <sighs> and when the war was through, 1865. Yes, the war was through. 
But what was I going to do with no education, nowhere to go, nowhere to hide, nobody to help me? I just thought to myself, what am I going to do? I didn't know what I was going to do. All I could do was just hope for a change. A change. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry I was late, Miss Lillian. Lord have mercy, that woman is mean as a snake. I can't get here late. Why I'm late? I had to get off the bus because the colored people section got full and when the white people got on, I had to get off and I had to wait for the next bus. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, she was she stand on a bus and see how that feel. Ma'am, I'm just talking to myself. Can I talk to myself? Lord. And then she wants you to spit shine the flow. Oh. Mm -hmm. oh. Lord, my knees and my Arthur done caught up with me. Ma'am, you know, the only reason I'm still working here for Miss Lily, because my boy Henry got in trouble with the law. He decided, you know, we under Jim Crow and all, he decided he wanted to see what the white water fountain was. He said, I want to know if the white water fountain is the same water that come out the colored water fountain. Well, he sure enough found out because they, they busted him and they, they thought they throwed him in the jail. Throwed him in the jailhouse, sure did. And if it had not been for Miss Lillian's husband, Mr. Dill Beck, my son would still be in the jailhouse. That's the only reason I'm working for. Otherwise, I'd go find me someplace else. I sure would. Got to work up here seven days a week. And she said, well, I give you a day off. Did you hear me say seven days a week? Didn't I tell you seven days a week? Now, well, let me explain something to you. Now, what she called a day off was a day off. I get a half a day on Wednesday. And then I get a half a day on Sunday. So she figured that half a day plus that half a day equal your day off. Ma'am, yes, ma'am. I got the sausage ready and the biscuits ready and the jelly ready and the jam ready and the tea ready and the coffee ready and the toast ready. Lord, she don't understand. I gets up every morning at six o'clock and put cold cereal on the table for my children and leave there to get the Peachtree 10 bus to come way out here to Buckhead and she gonna get upset because I was 30 minutes late. I can't help because they put the colored people off the bus so that the white people could sit down. Now she don't like that, she need to speak up. Ain't nothing I can do about it. <laughs> they say, wait on change. My son just don't understand me. He said, why you keep going out there working? I said, because if it had not been for Mr. Dillbeck getting you out of jail, your behind would still be laid up somewhere. So you ought to show some appreciation. 
Well, she didn't know the depreciation was coming out of my salary. I was getting $2 a day, but when he got busted and put in jail, Mr. Dillbeck, even though he got him out of jail, she said, well, I'm going to take that out your salary. And then she cut my salary to $1 a day. Excuse me. $1 a day. But I see that change is going to come. I'm going to tell you why I know change is going to come. I had turned on the radio. Yes, I did. In April 9th, 1939, guess what I heard? There was this beautiful opera woman. Her name was the Marian Anderson. The Marian Anderson. And they say the daughter of the American Revolution wouldn't let her sing at Constitution Hall. And so the white people, the good white people, got together and said, no, that's not going to happen. And they assembled 75,000 people in front of the Lincoln Center. And I, 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 I wish I could have been there because I'm working for Ms. Lillian. But it was just gorgeous, beautiful. I could only imagine when I turned on the radio to hear Miss Anderson. They say she had on a, a fur stole and she, she had on a fur uh, a hat. And then they say she, she started singing, My Country Tears of Thee. Now, Henry, my son, couldn't understand why she sang in my country, tears of thee. They ain't done nothing for her. I said, boy, hush. Don't you see progress when it's coming? Hush and sit down and listen. That woman was something else. She stood there, they say. I could only imagine with her hands all proud, and she starts singing. In the Lord, in the Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. In the Lord, in the Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. Oh, Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. I'm gonna pray and never stop. My soul's been anchored in the Lord until I reach that mountaintop. My soul's been anchored in the Lord. Oh, Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. Oh, Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. In the Lord, in the Lord, my soul's been anchored in the Lord. God knows my soul's been anchored in the Lord. Yes! Oh, when she sung that song, oh, brought tears to my eyes. Oh, yes. And I just kept on working for Miss Lillian till she got me back up to a dollar fifty. Dollar fifty cents. But I ain't got no education. I dropped out of school when I was in the ninth grade because I let this boy named Charlie knock me up. And my mama told me, I ain't taking care of your kids. You have them, you take care of them. And so I had to drop out. And this is what I've been doing for a lifetime. This is what I do for a lifetime. But I know that change is still coming, coming, change is coming. Yes, I believe it's coming. 
Oh, I read the paper today. Do you know, child? Do you know what happened? What happened? Rosa paused. <laughs> Are you here to news? Rosa sat down for justice. No. Sat up? Yes, she did. She sat down on the bus. Now, the way I hear the story, she was sitting in the midsection. She wasn't sitting in the white section. She wasn't sitting in the colored section. But when she sat down, and the, they had this Jim Crow rule that there was this midsection, and of course, if the white people needed the seats, then you had to yield the seats and go on back to the colored section. Now, Rosa Parks said she was sick and tired of being sick and tired, so she was sitting there, and then the bus driver said, uh, let's have some of them seats. Well, there was only one white man that was standing, but if he was going to sit down, you had to clear the whole row. Whole row, one person, one row, row. So the, the, the colored lady that was sitting next to her got on up. Rosa then just boom, got down and got closer to the window and nestled herself in. And they say, I told you to give up them seats. She said, I have paid my fare and I shall not move. They say, well, if you do not move, I'm going to have you arrested. And she said, that you may do. And she looked out of the window and refused to give up her seat. That took some nerve. She had to have God in her heart because ain't no telling what this folk was going to do. Oh, but she, she started a revolution. Yes, she did. Ma'am, I'm, I'm just talking to myself, but I'm working. I'm working. <laughs> she don't know me. I'm going to talk about the working. Yes, ma'am. Well, let me tell you what happened. They started this protest, and this man named Martha Luther King, he come up on the scene, but I'm going to tell you something. That was because of Rosa. Rosa done that. Yes, she did. And this Dr. Robinson printed 35,000 flyers. That was a woman. And spread them all over Montgomery. And they stayed off the bus. They wouldn't go back. They wouldn't go back. And then they told us in Atlanta, y'all need to stay off the bus too. Lord have mercy. So I stayed off the bus. Yes, I did. I stayed off the bus. And Miss Lillian called me. She said, where are you? I said, I can't come. What do you mean you can't come? I say, I can't come because there's a protest going on and uh, we are told that the colored people not to ride the bus. She said, you stay right there. I'm coming to get you. I said, well, as long as it ain't on no bus. <laughs> she come up with her Cadillac and I tell you, I got in that Cadillac and she rode me all the way to Buckhead. And Mr. Dillbeck say, why you go pick her up? And Miss Lillian said, because I ain't fixing no grits, no eggs, no bacon, no sausage, no tea, no coffee, no toast, no nothing. So if you want to eat breakfast every morning, you better let me come and go get uh, this child right here, because that's the only way you're going to eat something. Well, since the cards was in my favor, I told Miss Lillian, I can't work here for no dollar fifty cent no more. <laughs> You wants me to come, I'm going to have to come for $3 a day. <laughs> and I guess you know I got it. Well, I worked for Miss Lillian long enough, and I worked because I wanted something for my baby gal 
that I didn't get a chance to do. Her name was Carrie. And I told Carrie, I'm sitting here working for you so you can get you an education that I could not get. And that's what my baby gal did. And that is exactly what I did. My mother had worked for Miss Lillian for 40 years, trying to send me to school to get an education. And I promised her, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But beyond that, she wanted me to remember whose shoulders I stood upon. And I took her doily and I said, I want you to give me this so that I will remember. And I tucked it into my little motorboard and I sat there when I graduated. I was as proud as a peacock, but none was prouder than my mother. And once I got me a job at a, at a college as a university professor, I bought my mother a home. And I said, you will not work for Miss Lillian and anyone else for the remainder of your life. Not because I think you're better than anyone else, but I want to show you the gratitude and appreciation I have for your arthritic fingers who have given me new life. And she agreed to that. And I said, you know what? I might just hire you some help. But she didn't want to take the help. She was embarrassed. She felt like, no, I can't do that because I feel bad. I said, no, you've earned this. Someone else, you're helping someone else if this is what they want to do. And she was proud until the day she died. But what I learned was there's a new slavery now. It's not the slavery that we see. It's an invisible slavery. It's one called vindictiveness. It's one called hatred. It's one called racism. It's one called disrespect. It's one called I don't like you, don't know why, but this is how it is. You don't go to my church, I don't go to your church. You stay on your side of town. It's the kind of slavery that says, I'm going to rob from the haves. I am going to take from this. And what have we lost and left for that? We have lost humanity in the new enslavement. It's black, it's white, it's brown, it's red, it's yellow. When will we rise as a people, as a nation, not just to the Constitution that was written by our forefathers, but to Jesus, who gave us a new commandment? to love ye one another. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on, let us march on till victory is won. Thank you.